0: 1 Peter, chapter 1 again. And let's begin reading in verse number 6. We're going to look at verse 6 through verse 9 tonight. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That word can also be interpreted trials. That the trial of your faith, being more, much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearance of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love, in whom, though you see him not, yet believe him, you rejoice with joy unspeakable, and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you today that your word is always on time. And so, Father, I thank you for that, and I pray that this would be a help to us tonight. In Jesus' holy, precious, and mighty name, and all God's children said, Amen. You may be seated. Wherein you greatly rejoice. First thing I want you to see tonight is the rejoicing in truth. This term, wherein, connects you back to the previous verse. So if you remember from this morning, what did we end with? He said, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice. And so the picture here is, is Peter is writing to these believers, and he's not stating this as a command. It's not an imperative in the Greek text. He's stating this as a matter of fact. In other words, he's stating this in this way. You are rejoicing in the fact that you're kept by the power of God to be revealed in the last time. In other words, he's stating about these believers that rejoicing is an overflow of their understanding and receiving of truth. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. Truth can convict, and truth does convict. But truth, even when it convicts, or even when it comforts, ought to cause a believer to rejoice every single time. And if you understand what we looked at this morning, you can't help yourself but rejoice in what God has done and what God has for you and me. And so he states this this fact. He says, You rejoicing in truth. But then notice the Atmosphere in which they rejoice. The reality of trials. He says you rejoice, you greatly rejoice, though now for a season if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. In other words, he says you're rejoicing at what God's done. You're rejoicing at what God has for you. You're rejoicing that you're kept by God. You're rejoicing that it's going to be revealed in the last day. And you're doing it. In the midst of great heaviness. And in the midst of great trials. Now I'm going to be honest with you folks. Uh, This is probably a truth that many of us are still God's working on us. I mean to be able to rejoice in what God's done. As I said this morning, when you and I come to the place of understanding fully. What God has really done. And what God has given us. That'll take you past every aspect of your life. Whether it be good times or whether it be bad times. And so what Peter is writing here is he's saying this. He said, there's the reality of the trials you're in, but yet you're still greatly rejoicing. I mean, isn't that amazing to you? I mean, that they could greatly rejoice even in the midst. Now you say, what are these trials? Well, let me just kind of give you a synopsis, if you will. Uh, One of the things that we know about these believers Peter's writing to is they were being greatly persecuted. Now some Bible scholars would say that the persecution was just one aspect of the trials. And you say, preacher, what do you think? I said, I think they're absolutely right. Because he doesn't speak of just one trial. He speaks of manifold trials, various trials. And so What he's saying is, yes, they're being persecuted, but along with being persecuted, God has allowed other things in their life. And we don't know what those other things are, but here's what we do know, that they are very much heavy on their heart. Now, let me break down this verse with you just for a moment, if you'll let me. The first thing is the duration of the trials. He says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though for now for a season, if need be... You are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Now for a season. In other words, these trials are for a season. Now, here's what I'm trying to tell you. What this text is saying is this. That anything that happens to a believer, God has to allow or initiate. You've heard me say that a thousand times. But now, here's the picture that you need to understand in relation to eternity whatever you go through in trials in your life whether it's by initiation or by the allowing of God in his providence, here's the reality when you compare it to eternity it's just for a season but also this goes a little beyond that you say what do you mean it means this that God has his finger on the time clock and God has his finger on the pulse. And you say, what do you mean by that? In other words, God has allowed it or God's initiated and God can stop it whenever you and I walk in what God's trying to do through it. Now, you say, well, what if I don't learn from it? God can start the clock all over again. In other words, trials can be for a season. But here's the reality. Only God is the author and finisher of those trials. And so you and I need to understand that until we learn what God's trying to teach us in the midst of trials. Now sometimes, listen, as we looked at the last couple Wednesday nights, sometimes trials or or circumstances can be because of sin and God chastening us. And and sometimes they have nothing to do with sin. Sometimes God's just trying to teach us how to trust Him more. Sometimes God's just trying to teach us how to lean upon Him more, how to have more intimacy with Him, how to not worry as much as we used to, how to, here's a good one, how to take your hands off the steering wheel and realize you're not in control, God is. I mean, there's many reasons why God would allow trials. But whatever God's allowed to trial, here's what he's saying. It's just for a season, meaning that in relation to eternity, it's a short time, but also in relation to how you respond to those trials. I've gave this illustration to you before, but remember it. If you remember in Mark's gospel, the disciples found themselves on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus was asleep in the boat. And y'all remember what happened. They come wading through the water. The Bible says in Matthew, the water had overcome the boat. In other words, the boat was full and it's still floating. Y'all figure that one out. That's what it says in Matthew. So in other words, already in the miracle of God, they don't even realize it. Because their mind is on the circumstances, not on what God... Remember what the Lord said, we will go to the other side. I mean, God's already told them. The Lord's already told them what was going to happen. And so they wade back to the Lord Jesus. They said, don't you care that we perish? The Lord gets up from his sleep and he says, oh, ye of what? A little faith. And you say, well, the disciples, they learned their lesson. They're never going to have to go through that again. Oh, read a few chapters later. This time Jesus is on the shore. They're on the Sea of Galilee again. Another storm arises. They get fearful in their heart. They're going to perish. The Lord comes walking out on water. And what does He say? Oh, ye of what? Can I tell you today? Our trials are always for a season. But God controls them. And it's on the basis of how we learn how we grow, and how we receive what God's trying to do. And that is what he is saying here. And you say, how do you know that's what he's saying? Because notice this, the direction of the trials. If need be. Now what does that mean? If God deems it, or determines it, or directs it to be. In other words, he says, listen... You, wherein you greatly rejoice, though, for a season if need be. In other words, only God is the one that can direct our trials. Only God's the one that knows if we need those trials in our life. Now, I guarantee you, we would all say when we're going through trials, Lord, I, I'm good. You don't have to do this. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? It's amazing to me. God knows what we need. And I'm telling you right now, some of the most difficult times I've went through in my life were some of the greatest times I ever went through in my life. I was talking to Ralph a minute ago. When I had COVID a couple years ago, spent five days in ICU, I would not trade that for anything in the world because God used that in my life. God knew what I needed. Now, was there sin in my life that he was dealing with? There were some things he was showing me, yes. But can I tell you the biggest thing he was showing me? How absolutely dependent I was to him. And you say, well, preacher, I can't believe you would ever forget that. Oh, don't get on your high horse. (laughs) You do too. We're easy to forget. We're easy to try to do things our way, what we think is best. And it's the greatest, one of the greatest times of my life. One of the sick, it was the sickest time of my life, but it was one of the greatest times of my life. You see, here's the thing, God knows what we need, folks. And God knows when we need it. So you see the duration of the trials and the direction of the trials. James chapter 1 says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. The word patience, better translated endurance. The trying of your faith works endurance in your life. Well, let me show you thirdly, not only the duration and the direction, but the depth of the trials. This word heaviness here, it's really the only time that it's used. And here's what it means. It literally means this to become sad sorrowful distressed. in other words whatever trials were included in this that these believers were going through here's what he says you are in heaviness you're sad you're sorrowful you're in distress over these trials but yet at the same time you're greatly rejoicing I mean you're sorrowful and sad over what's going on in your life But yet when you come to the place, and remember, you're kept by the power of God, you still can rejoice. Let me tell you something, folks. You can be sad and sorrowful and still be able to rejoice. You say, preacher, I can't do both. Yes, you can. And here's the reality. Whatever these trials were, they were heavy upon these people. The Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here's what it says. He was sorrowful. He was very sorrowful. He was sorrowful even unto death. And yet the Lord Jesus could say in that moment, not my will but thy will be done. The weight of the reality that the Lord Jesus would experience in those moments on the cross separation from his Father, which he had never known eternity past, and praise God, I'll never have to know again. And in that moment, he could still say, not my will, but thy will. Be done. The depth of the trial, the diversity of the trials through manifold temptations. The word manifold, as I said a minute ago, means various, many, different types. Listen, folks, what you may be going through in your life, I may know have no idea about being able to say, I know what you're going through. And I may be going through something in my life. You cannot say to me, I know what you're going through. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what kind of trial it is. It doesn't matter how severe the trial may seem or how hard the trial may be or how long the trial may last. Here's what matters. That if you know you're kept by the power of God, in the midst of whatever it is, you can still greatly rejoice in what God's done for you and who God is. Now, people, I'm not going to lie. This is far easily preached than it is lived. I'm not going to lie to you. But can I tell you, Something God has to continue to teach me just because I may not have arrived in a certain area I praise God he's still working on me and to work this in our lives to work this into the fiber of our very beings to work this into the spiritualness of our souls This is what God desires to do. Well, we see the rejoicing in truth. We see the reality of trials. But then we see the realization in testing. He says that the trial of your faith. Now, I want you to look at that word trial. It's a peculiar little Greek word. Because when we think of trial, we think of the circumstances themselves which is that word temptations in the previous verse. But here it means something else. Here he's not talking about the specific circumstance. Here he's talking about the process through which God allowed the circumstance. Because here's what this word means. It means to test to see if it's genuine. He said that the testing of your faith, the trial of your faith. So what's the conclusion about faith? That God will try and test your faith. Notice what he said. Being much more precious than gold that perish. Now here's what Peter said. God testing your faith is far more precious than gold that perishes. Can I ask you a question? What do we spend more time on? Gaining material things. Or letting God test our faith. Because that's what this is saying. You see, this is the conclusion Peter makes about faith. But notice in this, there's a contrast to faith. He says here in verse 7, "...that the trial of your faith be more precious than gold that perisheth." Though it be tried with fire. In other words, what he's speaking of here is simply this. That gold is put in the fire. It's melted, if you will. And when it's melted, the impurities called the dross will come to the top. And they'll scrape it off the top. And the only thing left will be the pure liquid of the gold in which they and pour into a mold of some shape or form. And it'll become a brick or a coin or something of that nature. And what's left of that gold is just the purity of the gold. The dross, the impurities have been taken out. And what you see is pure, pure gold. He said, but the trying of your faith is more precious than even gold that has been purified and gold that is 100% pure of any impurity. The testing of your faith is of that preciousness. And, And listen, folks, so what I'm trying to say to you is this. Peter's writing to these that are going through unknown things. So we know persecution, but unknown things past that. And yet he's telling them, listen, I praise God you're greatly rejoicing in the midst of. I praise God for that. But understanding in the testing of your faith, it is more important than the most precious gold you can find. Now why is this important for us? How do you look at your trials? How do you look at your troubles? How do you look at your circumstances? How do you look at your heartbreaks? How do you look at your times of difficulty? Well, can I tell you something? If you understand that God's always at work in your life if you're saved today, in our humanity, are they going to be hard? Yes. Are they going to hurt? Yes. Are you going to be sorrowful? Yes. Are you going to weep from time to time? Yes. But when you realize that why ever God allowed it or initiated God's trying to do a good work in you. And all of a sudden, you have a whole different perspective of the trials that you go through. You see, I don't understand how a lost world makes it through the difficulties of life. But here's the sad part. A lot of true Christians have the same difficulties the lost world has. And walking through the difficulties of life. You know why? Because they don't see that God's at work. They just see that they're at hurt. But yet when God's at work, it's more precious than anything that you could ever accumulate in the material world. It's more precious. Well, notice thirdly, the confirmation of faith. That it may be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, this idea of trial of faith is to test to be deemed as genuine. So God tests our faith. We see it as God working in us or working for us. And we see it as such. And we say, God, whatever you're trying to do, whatever you're trying to do, I accept it. Paul says, in all things I can give. Uh, I didn't hear you. Y'all don't like that verse, do you? In how many things? In how many things? No, preacher, come on. Don't don't, don't give us that. In, I, I understand, preacher, in most things, in some things, no. in all things. Amen. Are you kidding me? In all things? Oh, you'll never be able to do that if you don't understand the trying of your faith. Right. So what is the end result of this work of God in us? What is the end result of it all? It's simply this. That your faith will stand the test and your faith will stand the fire of purity and your test will stand the test of God's work and you may be found under praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of the Lord Jesus. Jesus said it this way, When I come, shall I find one faithful? Well, I got news for you. When you understand, you have been kept by the power of God through faith unto the revealing in the last time. You can rejoice in your trials. You can see your trials that God is doing a work. And you can remain faithful. And your faith will be proven to be genuine. Listen, God don't need to have it proved. He needs you to know. He already knows. You say, why would God want me to know? I'll give you two reasons. Number one, because there's a lot of people deceived. Number two, because those that are not deceived will grow in grace and knowledge if you understand where you are in the walk of faith. And then, when God the Father says to God the Son, Son, go get your bride. And that trumpet sounds. And we ascend into the clouds. Face to face with the Lord. Listen, the Bible says we can stand in boldness, confidence before it. Why? Because God proved our faith. We know God already knew. And it'll be an anthem of praise and glory and honor. Oh, don't get the big head. It's not the Lord saying, well, good job. Look what you've done. Oh, no, no. It'll be praise, honor, and glory of the Lord Jesus that gave you the faith to walk in. This is what it's all about. Genesis chapter 22. Abraham, take your son the promised son, the covenant son, Isaac. Take him up Mount Moriah. Bring him before me as a burnt offering. Abraham walks up the mountain with his son as his son's holding the wood. His son don't fight against Abraham, surrenders to his father. Lays him up on the altar. Puts the wood around the altar. The promised child that Abraham's been waiting waiting for and waiting for and waiting for and waiting for. And he raises that knife. And all of a sudden God brings a ram out of the thicket. says, don't touch that son. You say, why would you bring that verse up? Because listen to what God said. Lay not thy hand upon thy lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God. How many agree God already knew? But how many agree now Abraham knows? Seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, from me. Can I ask you a question? What do you think you have that you've not given to him? Can I say something of love? God may test your faith to see if you're willing to give it to him. Well, fourthly and lastly, the recognition of trust. Well, next to lastly, how's that? Y'all with me? Say amen. Whom having not seen, you love. want you to look at a couple of things, the sensitivity of faith. Who have not seen, you love. Notice he says, whom you've not seen. Because Peter saw it. Peter walked with him for three and a half years. Peter said, I've seen it. But can I tell you something? Here's what Peter said. But your love is even greater than mine. Because you've not seen what i see, And you love him the same. John chapter 20, verse 29. Jesus said unto Thomas. Remember doubting Thomas? Because thou hast not seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are those that have not seen me yet have believed. Say, so why would you read that? Look at the next part. The surrender effect. Whom you have not seen you love, though now you see him not, yet believing. The word is present active, yet you continue to surrender to him in faith. That's what the word believing means. You love who you're not seeing. And you continue to surrender in faith to him that you've not yet seen either. Now, how many agree if they're saved, they've experienced Him? I had a person ask me a long time ago, they said, How do I believe in someone I can't see, feel, or touch? I said, Well, when God saves you, you won't have to ask me that question anymore. Because you'll experience His forgiveness, His mercy, His grace. His victory, his joy, his peace. You'll have fellowship with one you can't see. So he's commending these believers. He's saying, listen. He said, you're going through the trial of your faith, but look what it's going to come out on the other side. There's going to be a confirmation of your faith. It's going to be to the honor and glory and praise at the appearing of the Lord Jesus. And listen, I, can, I, I praise God that you have not seen Him, yet you love Him, you have not seen Him, yet you continue to believe. And then notice the splendor of faith. And you rejoice with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. Well, let me unpack this for you, okay? This word unspeakable here. It's a word, it's a Greek word, it means inexpressible. Here's here's the magnitude of the word. He says, you you believe in whom you've not seen, you love whom you've not seen, you're rejoicing in the midst of, of, of trials even though they're for a season. And he said, let me... Just give you a statement of fact about your joy. Your rejoicing is unspeakable. Can I tell you what it means? Here's what it means. There's not words to describe it or to articulate it. It's beyond understanding. It's beyond communication. Boy, wouldn't it be great if people around us that are lost see us go through trials in our life and they look at us and we're still having joy and we're still rejoicing in the Lord and who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us and we're rejoicing in who Christ is. Yes, we're heavy-hearted, but yet at the same time, oh, listen, it hurts, but praise God, I'm still His. Wouldn't it be great if they looked at us and said, I can't explain you. And then you look back at him and say, Well, I can't explain it to you. Words can't describe it. There's no way to articulate or to convey the depth of the joy. Well, lastly, and I'm done, the receiving of a treasure. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Here's what it says. The receiving is not in future tense. How many agree the end of our faith is future tense? Then why ain't receiving in the future tense? Here's what he's saying. You've already received in your heart what's going to be true of you in the future. Let me give you a quote. Charles Spurgeon. How many of y'all heard of Charles Spurgeon? Here's what Charles Spurgeon said. It can take little faith to take your soul to heaven. But it takes great faith to bring heaven to your soul. Let me say it again. It can take little faith to take your soul to heaven. But it takes great faith to bring heaven to your soul. What does he say? You've received by faith what God has for you what God has in reserve for you. Remember this morning The hope that you have. You've received it by faith. And because you've received it by faith, you rejoice now And what you've not yet experienced is still to come. And what you rejoice in now is greater in your heart than the heaviness and the sorrow of your trials that you're in now. Would God work us in our lives? So let me close with this statement, and I'm done. You may be going through stuff, and I know some of y'all are going through some stuff. it's just heart-wrenching. Matter of fact, I'll say this. From a fleshly way of of looking at it, it's just downright confusing. Y'all ever been there? Raise your hand. You don't understand. Well, here's what I've got to say. hard as it is God don't always in the moment help us to understand because to trust God is to trust God even when we don't understand and so the only way you can do that is to be convinced that you're saved and kept by the power of God to reveal it in the last time. And that God is working in you, but God is working for you. And God is maybe preparing you Or God is shaping you or molding you or stripping you or chiseling away at you? Anything that don't look like him? That when God says, Son, go get your children. At that moment, before the Lord Jesus, You're an anthem of praise, honor, and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, I don't understand what's going on in my life. It seems like God is just standing still. How about changing the question? How about saying, Lord... I receive whatever you're doing. Even if I don't know what it is. But I ask you today, I want to yield to whatever it is. So in your mercy and your grace, will you let me see what you're trying to do in me? but I want you to hear me with all the love I have in me. He'll only answer that prayer if you're willing to see what he has to show you. How many you agree God knows if you're willing to see it or not? Amen. A lot of times we pray something like that and then God shows us, wait a minute, that ain't what, that's not what it is. <laughs> Y'all hearing me say amen. amen. But understand that. It's always for your good. Every time, 100% of the time. Father, I love you, I praise you, and I thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Father, maybe there's some folks in here today that, Father, they're just going to be honest tonight. They're just confused. Maybe they're troubled. Maybe their heart is heavy, aching, broken. Father, maybe they just need tonight to get alone with you on a bended knee and say, God, I just got to confess. I've dwelt on my confusion. I've dwelt on my circumstances more than I've dwelt on what you're trying to do. And I confess that first and foremost, but then, Father, secondly, whatever you're doing, I'm willing to receive it. That I can be an anthem of praise, an anthem of glory, an anthem of honor unto you when I appear before you in glory. Lord, let me see what I need to see, that I can walk in what you provided. In Jesus' holy, precious, and mighty name, and all God's children said,